Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So would you welcome to the stage with me Sharon Kissel as she comes. Yeah. So uh, Sharon and uh, Jeremy and I and Wendy were talking a few weeks ago and Sharon kind of just started to share some major stakes or turning points of growth in her life. It'd be kind of like if you were sitting down with us and you said to us, uh, here are those moments that happened in my life that I point to these three or four things that made me who I am today for the good. And that's what that moment was like for us. And we all felt like after hearing share that, Sharon share that, that we wanted to have her uh, help teach a day uh, where she shares those things with us. And in fact, uh, I think it's going to be encouraging. I think it's going to be instructive for some. It's going to be relatable to all of us. I think uh, it's going to show us how God and affirm to some of us how God has worked in our life or how God might want to still work in our life. And the beautiful thing is I've seen God work in these similar ways that Sharon's stakes, as she referred to him, uh, has, he's done in other people's lives as well. And uh, I see the same stakes in the lives of the disciples, uh, especially post-resurrection. Jesus is dealing with all of these things in them as their life becomes something amazing. And that's really what our series has been about in this series next that we conclude today. We've been looking at the disciples post-resurrection to understand what happened in their life that made them so bold, so joyful, so peaceful, and so tremendously powerful and effective in the mission of their life as individuals and as a church. And uh, I think one of the beautiful things for this, uh, as even studying for this series for me, has been when I look at the disciples honestly, they are just such evidence to all of us that God loves to take us as ordinary people and do extraordinary things through each one of us. And through the series, we've tried to illustrate that from the Bible. We've also tried to illustrate it from historical characters. And today, it's more, even more personal because it's going to be illustrated through Sharon's life in a very personal way. And I want it to become very personal for every single one of us. So if you're here today and you're not a, convinced yet about being a follower of Jesus, uh, here, here's what I think you're going to hear today and what the opportunity for you is. And, and that is simply this. You're going to see a picture of a journey of someone over the course of their lifetime and how God became real to Sharon. And it's going to maybe give you some helpful ways for you to think about searching for God in your own life. If you're here today and you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, the stories that you're going to hear are going to help you grow in confidence for how God's worked in you and maybe even show you some of the next steps or some of the areas where you need to think about to continue to grow. So thank you, Sharon, for joining me. And let's just start off by having you share uh, just kind of the backdrop of your life and what God did to help you get to the first stake. Okay. So I was um, raised in a home that was professing Christians. I had good parents and they took us to church sporadically. They taught us to pray before meals and at bedtime. And as I look back on my life, it seemed my early childhood was like a storybook until my parents' marriage hit a really, really bad spot. 
And after that, there was a lot of pain and a lot of anguish and a lot of heartache for everyone involved in that situation. Eventually, my mom just called it quits. When I was ages 12 and 13, she divorced my father. She remarried, and she began this journey into the occult, which she eagerly shared with me. Fast forward to age 16. I was driving out of my neighborhood one day, and I noticed a church that had a marquee advertising the vali- a conference on the validity of the Bible. As a 16-year-old, I took time off work, and I attended the whole weekend conference. In the conference, there were five or six pastors on the stage sharing various points of the Bible, and in the audience, there was me and five or six other people that were all gray-haired and over 50 It actually wasn't any words that they said. It was what I would now describe as um, the Holy Spirit just drawing me, just affirming, this is God's word, this is the truth. And I left that conference and I drove that first stake in the ground, that God's word is the reliable choice for my life. And the Bible is what I'm going to stake my life on. The truth here is it. What I love about this and Sharon's story is that she actually started to believe and trust the Bible before she even really fully trusted and believed in Jesus in her life. And that's cool. That doesn't often happen. I find the pattern to be more so in people's lives that we start to really be drawn to Jesus and we like Jesus, but we don't really trust the Bible. We still struggle with it. And we actually see Jesus post-resurrection driving this stake of trusting the Bible as reliable for our life and the lives of the disciples immediately following it. There's this really interesting interaction that happens in in Luke uh, 24. Uh, Jesus appears to two disciples who have not heard anything yet about him being resurrected. And uh, so they're still grieving the death of Jesus. And they're walking 20 miles from Jerusalem to this city called Emmaus. And Jesus came and walked with them, but they didn't recognize him. So there's, there's a couple really fun parts in this for me when I have my imagination go with it. I go, what was that like for them not to walk with Jesus but not to know him? Was it, was it just this sort of miraculous disguise? Or, or did Jesus look like a, a Jesus doppelganger to them and they just figured it was his lookalike in life that they were walking with? What was The text isn't concerned with fully describing that stuff, and we find Jesus asking them why they're sad. So here's the other part that I think is kind of ironic and funny in this. So the disciples start to explain to Jesus uh, how they were sad because he was beaten and crucified just a couple days earlier talking to Jesus. That's kind of a weird conversation, isn't it? Awkward? Kind of interesting? Okay, I won't go any further with that, but I just find it entertaining. Uh, so here's Jesus' response in Luke 24. He says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And what Jesus is doing in that moment, he's actually tr- showing his own absolute trust in the reliability of scripture. And he's now intent on helping them also gain that same kind of trust by explaining to them that Scripture has been truly accurate in real-life circumstances. So Jesus goes on. He says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. So, so get the picture here. This is a several-hour conversation as they're finishing their walk of 20 miles to Emmaus. And the text tells us they didn't get there till it was beginning to get dark in the evening. So they arrive, and it's dark, and they just say to Jesus, where are you going? He goes, well, I'm going on. And they say, well, why don't you, why don't you just stay with us tonight since it's dark and, and have dinner with us? And, and as they're eating, Jesus breaks bread with them in the same way he did a couple nights earlier when he established communion with them. And in that moment, they recognize that it's Jesus. And then he's gone, right? And in response to that, the account says this. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You see, this is something really important that when we look at the Bible, it's not just words on paper. It's not just a book. It is this personal, there's this personal sense about Scripture that the Spirit of God interacts with us about it and He can cause a conviction in us about what is right and best and good and true. And sometimes those internal sensations that we have of God interacting with us personally in the Scripture feel like the disciples described, this burning in our hearts. Or maybe it's a, we would describe it in different terms. We might say it's a tug on our hearts or it's a sense of conviction in our gut. But it doesn't always have to come with feelings, but there are times when God uses those sensations to let us know it is personal. He is there with us in the moment, and he's affirming and drawing us to truth. So uh, let's turn it back to Sharon as she tells us how God began to lead her to the next stake in her life. So when I was in college, God began drawing me to... um make the commitment of baptism just to take that step of obedience. And what that looked like was in those days, the main way I related to God and understood God was through reading of the scriptures and hearing sermons. So every time I would read the word baptism in my Bible, I'd get sort of this uncomfortable feeling like this sort of nudge. And every time the pastor would say baptism in church, I would get this really uncomfortable feeling, a nudge. And it didn't take too long of that before I said, you know what? I really honestly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is our Redeemer, that he is our Savior, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the King of Kings, and I'm going to drive that stake in the ground and I'm going to make that public declaration that that is what I believe. You know what? I didn't understand at all at that time, but I fully, fully understand now is that um, God is just this incredible, awesome, loving, heavenly Father. And he loves to just lavish us with his love. He loves to pour out his gifts. And the only way that we, as created beings, can love him back is through obedience. Jesus said, those who love me will obey what I ask them. In fact, I don't even really consider it obedience anymore because I still get those same incredible nudges when God's inviting me into adventures. So, yeah, I've come to just... Isn't it interesting? The more you know God, the more we see... We often associate obedience with this pressure to do something, you know, this strict pressure to be measuring up. And, but obedience becomes so much more about gratefulness, more about responding to God's love the more we get to know him. 
It becomes this freeing thing in our lives. You know, the second sake of obedience uh, to God's ways, uh, including baptism, like she said, it's, it's the, including this idea of, of declaring Jesus as Lord, as King, that we intend to follow Him, that we want to obey Him. But one of the things I love most about this, uh, about Sharon in particular, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on her for a minute and so she wouldn't be comfortable saying this, but I'm going to say it because I want to, and I have the mic, um, <laughs> is I love Sharon's posture in life. I love Sharon's posture in life. And the reality is we all have a posture in life. We see it in how each one of us approaches our problems that we face. We see it how we approach risk-taking. We see it how we approach relationships. We even see it how we approach our faith. For some of us, our posture is kind of... It's kind of leaning away. It's kind of asking God to prove things to us before we're willing to obey. There there may be a hint of resistance in us. There may be a stubbornness to to do it our own way, to be in control, or or maybe just as simple as a fear of being wrong and a fear of looking foolish in life. And there's some of us who live life in more of a neutral posture. We're willing to move, but we're still a little bit hesitant to step out until we're really sure God is saying what he's saying and we know it's right what we're about to do. And then there's some of us, like Sharon, who have this posture of leaning in. It's this posture of, I'm just going to do it. I'm gonna, I, I think this might be God. and I'm just going to see if it might be God and see if he's leading us, right? And some of that's natural personality, uh, Sharon is uh, is a high D on the disc profile. If you've ever, ever done that personality profile or personal behavioral style profile, so uh, a high D is a person who just likes to run in and figure things out along the way. But we're just gonna we're gonna act. We're gonna go. We're gonna go there right now, right? And some of you are high S's and C's, and and, and, and S and C people like to know what's going to happen. They like to have an understanding of what is exactly right and how to do it before we step out, before we do anything. That's personality. But beyond that, there's this idea that God, I think, doesn't want us to worry so much about stepping out and risking obeying. You know, see, what we might think about God is we might think God is, is concerned that, that we're not going to be right, and we may be concerned that we're not going to be right. And we don't want to, I think sometimes the, the struggle we have in stepping out is we don't want to misrepresent God. And we don't want to, we don't want to sin or let God down. We don't want to bring embarrassment on God if we step out in obedience to Him and believing it's really right, but it really isn't right, and it just ends up being my own harebrained idea that I just did in that moment, right? So we have this hesitancy. But the more I read the Bible, the more I know about how loving and patient and forgiving God is, the more I study people's lives, especially the great people of faith, the more I'm convinced God really wants us to risk more, that he wants us to lean in more in life, even if it means we're wrong more often. God wants us to step out in obedient faith to him, even if we get it wrong, because he loves that kind of trust and that kind of expression of faith towards him. See, and I think part of the reality is we don't discover God and how truth really works in our lives, how his power really wants to show up in our lives from a neutral 
or leaning away position. It's really only when we start to lean in, we start to obey, that we begin to experience who God is in that moment responding to us. See, so it may look like this for some of us. It may look like saying, God, I, I trust your word on sexuality, so I, I'm going to live like you and I'm going to ask you to bless me and I'm going to live according to your moral laws in this regard, even when it doesn't feel like it's good because I'm going to trust you that what you're saying in your word is really going to bring the best to my life, Right? Or it may look like this. It may look like saying to God, I, I, I trust your word on prayer and how you answer prayer and, and how you want to do healing through us as we pray for people. So even if I look foolish in this moment praying for someone and they don't get healed, I'm still going to lean in. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to pursue hearing you. Or it may look like, God, I, I trust your word when it says, vengeance is yours, so when I'm wronged, I need to leave that kind of justice up to you, and instead I need to operate in forgiveness and show mercy rather than seek revenge and justice when I'm wronged. I've got to trust you, God, that you're going to bring the best to my life and to my situations around me by trusting your word. So when we actively trust him, we start to experience the power of his word and the power of who he is. It may be other things as well that God asks you to do, but, but there's another thing I love and respect about Sharon in this whole thing. She is really quite open to not always having to be right. And she freely admits that she's often not right, and yet she's bold in leaning in and stepping out in faith. We see that same kind of boldness in the way Jesus trained the disciples. Uh, and in a moment before the, before the death and resurrection, we see the disciples one day faced with this guy who had, was, uh, he was a demonized boy and kind of going crazy. And they completely miserably failed in ministry in that moment. You know, Jesus comes down, he instructs them, he challenges them, but he stays with them in that process. And we see it post-resurrection in the disciples as they, as they maybe, maybe instead of leaning in, maybe this is an easier word for you to grasp. Maybe it's the idea of I'm going to have this active curiosity that if I sense that God might be doing something, might possibly be saying something, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to take an active step towards it rather than trying to sit back and try to, is this really right, you know? Maybe it's an act of curiosity that God wants to bring to you. The question I think for many of us today is what is your posture in life in regard to God and obedience and faith? And how might, be God, how might God be inviting you today to lean in and take a risk because he know, you know he loves you, because you know he forgives you, because you know he's kind, so you're willing to risk even when you don't, aren't sure it's going to be right. There's another stake in Sharon's life, uh, one that I think many of us in church uh, and those who still follow Jesus struggle with, and I'll let you tell her tell about it. Sure. So 18 years passed between the time I drove that second stake in the ground of baptism until I drove that third stake in the ground of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't even realize that the third stake was an option on the table way back here. So when I graduated from college, I had a good career. I uh, met the man of my dreams. We were blessed with the two wonderful, precious sons that we always wanted. 
one of them. <laughs> I had a business partner. I became an entrepreneur. I built a, we together built a $10 million company that had locations in three states. I served on my church board. I was in church every week. I was taking classes. I was volunteering in the community. And I even lived in a neighborhood that had little white picket fences. <laughs> yeah. On the outside looking in, it looked like I had everything. And on the inside, I was absolutely dying in pain and miserable. You see, several years before I drove that third stake in the ground, the enemy of all of our souls had created this perfect storm in my marriage. And our marriage had become a lot more like a battleground than a marriage. And it was a battle that we were both more intent on winning than we were on loving each other. And there were a number of nights, more than I care to remember, that I drank a lot more than I should have to try to kill that pain. Until one night, I just finally came to the absolute end of myself. And on the floor of my bedroom, I cried out to God. And that's when it happened. Jesus Christ came. I had a power encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was absolutely engulfed in the love of God. And everything changed in that moment. I had found the pearl of great price. And I got up from that encounter and I made it the goal of my life to know God and to do his will. And I got up the next day and I started a habit. I continue to this very day. I spend time in the presence of the Father, praying, getting to know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everything in my life flows out of that place. See, I think it's very easy and very true. What I love about this piece of the story is for her it was 18 years faithfully following Jesus as she understood him. And for many of you, I've heard many of you say and many of your friends who have visited here say, you know, I grew up in this very liturgical setting in church, going to church, you know, whether it was whatever whatever background it was, it could be any background, so I won't name any. And, 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 and church was just about the rituals. It was about receiving communion every Sunday or saying the right prayers or doing the right things or about the right morality and... It is so easy for us to go through life believing that's all there is to religion and faith. But there's this stake of more, this stake of personal relationship with Jesus, of knowing the Holy Spirit, knowing how he communicates with us, how he wants to lead us so that it's not just a book leading us or ideas leading us. It is God with us in that moment, leading us, this stake of personal relationship. There's another stake that came out of that later uh, for Sharon that I, that I want her to illustrate, and it's something that I think we all need to wrestle with, and it's actually something that, frankly, all of us are going to wrestle with every day for the rest of our lives. And that stake is simply learning to follow the Holy Spirit and ministering to other people. Let me allow Sharon to illustrate oh, that. Absolutely. So it was several years after I drove that third stake in the ground and got to know Jesus and was spending time with he and the Father and the Spirit that the fourth stake in the ground came, the ministering, learning to know the Holy Spirit and learning to minister with him. And it happened at, in um, 2004. Many of you who've been around the church a number of years remember my brother had this incredible miracle in 2004. And when I witnessed that miracle... I realized that Jesus was really serious when he said, go heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. 
I like to think of it as um, practitioners of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so from that time, I set about to read and study and go to every class or conference I could on healing. And um, I do remember the first class I went to on healing. Um, They did the teaching. And then at the end of the class, they said, okay, now everybody in the class who has a, um, a healing need, stand up and come to the front. Half of the class got up and went to the front. And they said to the rest of us, now we want you guys to pray and ask the Holy Spirit who it is that you should go and pray for. So I faithfully did that. And I felt like I was supposed to go to this woman on the far side of the room. So I faithfully start making my way over there. And as I'm walking, I all of a sudden realize, and I spot, she's got a leg in a brace, and it's up on a scooter. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. no colds for you. <laughs> Praying no. for something easy. I know. I'm like, oh, man, this isn't going to go well. But I faithfully went over, introduced myself, started through the five-step prayer model. And much to her amazement and my amazement, the Holy Spirit shows up and starts to heal her. You know, her, the swelling on her foot starts going down. She starts feeling better. So we just keep repeating this process. And the next thing I know, she's up. She's taking off her leg brace and she's moving around and like... God's done something and we're both astounded. I sure wish that was the way it went all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I've also had some really, really spectacular failures. I remember one time a number of years back, I was at Easton. And I ran into this family that I literally had been praying for to come to know the love of God and Jesus Christ for 10 years years I'd been praying for this family. And I run into them and I'm standing there talking to the son that evening and he's been in a sports injury. His shoulder is hurt and he is standing there in physical excruciating pain as I'm talking to him. And of course I'm feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit. You should pray for him. I was so afraid of offending his family that I was chickening out. And the Holy Spirit was trying his very best to help me. I got the first visual word of knowledge I've ever had. It was like God was shining a flashlight right on his shoulder, highlighting it for me. You know, back then I didn't understand the power of words of knowledge, that they are from the mind of God what he intends to do in the moment, and he will do it if you'll just step into it. I didn't know that back then. It might have given me more confidence. But I completely and totally chickened out. Wouldn't ask this kid if he needed prayer. I went away from that encounter, and I beat myself up for a really long time. You can well imagine. You know, I learned from it, though. I don't beat myself up anymore when I fail. Every encounter I walk away from, whether it was good or whether it was bad, I just say, Holy Spirit, how could I do it better next time? And I've discovered he just is this loving, incredible teacher who just really wants to help us grow into what it is that we're supposed to be. Yeah. And that's kind of really the point of learning to follow the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I want to tell one more story. Can I Go tell for it. Yeah. Story? Tell one more story. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So the other day I was driving down a road in my neighborhood. It's a road literally I've been on thousands of times. And all of a sudden I get this prompting from the Holy Spirit. You need to stop and ask those people in the yard if they need any prayer. Well, another lesson I've learned over the years is instant obedience is the best. 
If I hesitate, I just give the enemy a foothold to do what he did in the garden. Are you sure God really said that? Are you sure you should do that? So I instantly pull my car over. I hop out. I walk to this woman and this little girl in the yard. And I say, does there have to be anything that you need some prayer for today? And they said, no, but thank you for asking. There is a woman in the garage, though. So I faithfully went into the garage and I said, you know, hi. (laughs) I just was driving by and I just felt like God was prompting me to stop and ask if, you know, anyone here needed prayer. Is there anything that you happen to need prayer for today? And she looked at me and she said, no, I don't believe in God. Here's what I I picture. (laughs) I picture the people in the front yard going, yeah, like they knew they were setting Senator me up, Grouch. right? They totally we're gonna, This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a time that that statement would have totally staggered me and I would have just like backed out of the room and gone, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? But this day I actually stepped into it. And I said, you know, I know that God loves you. And I know he wants to show you his love right now. I said, if you would let me pray for you, that will happen. And so she said, you you know, something along the lines, you can pray for me if it'll make you feel better. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'll make you feel better. So I taught her the uh, vineyard model of assuming the position where you close your eyes and you open your hands and your mind and your heart to whatever it is God might want to do. And she did it. And then I just invited the Holy Spirit and the love of God just came on her. And she was so stunned by that. (laughs) And then I just felt, you know, like I should tell her the story of my brother and his miracle a number of years ago. And I thanked her for letting me pray. And I left. And, you know, I've been back a number of times. Now I have this cool new friend, all because I just stepped into that adventure when the Holy Spirit was nudging me that day. Like I say, I love how she leans in. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we may not all lean in at that level. I mean, some of that's personality and gifting, but leaning in is just such an exciting thing. Learning to follow the Holy Spirit and understand the gifts of the Spirit, things like healing, like words of knowledge, like words of wisdom, like prophecy, or just simply praying for people is, is something that for all of us is always full of practice. It takes time to grow and becoming confident in doing that. And uh, we even see that in the core disciples of Jesus. During the, during the three years Jesus spent uh, uh, with them, they, they observed him and did ministry with him. And it, but even after they encountered the Holy Spirit that we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, there, there's still evidence of them wondering and trying to figure this Holy Spirit leading thing out in their life. One, one of my favorite healing scriptures of all is found in Acts 3. And I love this story because, at least to me, it's so relatable. I hope it will be to you as well. It starts off in verse 1 saying this. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, let's just get get the context here. When they say one day, it doesn't mean this is the first time. In fact, the very verses immediately preceding this tell us that that they had been going to the temple daily to worship and to pray and to teach the people. So we don't know how many days or weeks this was after the Acts 2 outpouring that is immediately preceding this, but this one day is to imply that a number of days later, we can't remember which one, on this particular day they went, is all that saying. Luke goes on to say this. He says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So, so again, get the picture here. The disciples have been going to the temple daily. 
In fact, even before Jesus' death and resurrection, they had been to the temple many times with Jesus. And all those times, they likely went through this gate most of the times they went there. So the disciples would have seen this guy many days. In fact, Jesus probably would have seen him there lame and begging many times that they passed him. Okay? So it goes on and says this. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man. So remember, this guy has been there every day, so he is one of the more well-known faces in Jerusalem. Everybody knows him. And they all see him healed. And they're all filled with wonder and amazement. And what had just happened. So I was reading this one day for my own devotional time and asking God to help me understand more about how his spirit wants to work in healing. And I'm feeling a little bit frustrated, which I often do around this topic and just this kind of this hunger for more. And and I've seen people healed physically and miraculously through prayer, but not nearly as often or as consistent as I want and not nearly as often as I think God really wants to work through us in this. And what stood out to me that day as I was meditating on the scripture and I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me with was two questions. The questions were, what was going on that made the disciples walk by this person day after day after day and not pray for him? Right? And then a second question, what was going on on that day that made them stop and pray for healing and see him healed? in the name of Jesus. And I felt like there was kind of two things God was speaking to me that day. One was kind of this word of encouragement, just this recognition that the disciples like us are human. They were just struggling, probably walking by this person day by day going, okay, okay, you know, I, I, I can pray for a cold today, but maybe this is the big leg thing like Larry, like Sharon had. And is this the time? Is God really leading me? And they're just all that kind of internal struggle and, and wondering whether the Holy Spirit was leading them. And then, and then the second part of it is this. I, I'm sure within them there was this, within that context of trying to figure out, is this the Holy Spirit that 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 more than likely, because I've seen this happen to me and I've seen it to happen to so many people, there were probably several days before they actually stopped to pray for him that the Holy Spirit actually was legitimately in that moment saying, pray for him. And they were probably struggling that whole time going, okay, is this this me? Is this God? Is this... And again, I can't think of any Jewish food, so I'll just say pizza the night before. You know, what's going on? You know? Is it, what's going on? And this, this, there's this struggle. Is this, is this me? Is this my desire? Or is this the Holy Spirit leading in this moment to do this? And one day, maybe not even being sure, we see them lean in and say, I'm just going to risk it today. 
If this is obedience to God's spirit, meaning the spirit leading me, then we'll find out very quickly. And I'm going to be, I'm going to risk being right or, or wrong, but, but recognizing that step of obedience, whether right or wrong, is really pleasing to God for us to take. You see, if we really trust God's forgiveness, his goodness, and his patience, if we really trust God's word when he says, I want you to learn to be led by my spirit, if we really trust God when he says, I want my spirit to show up in you and through you in powerful ways to be good news to other people, if we really trust all that stuff, then we can confidently lean in whether we're right or wrong in a situation and allow God the opportunity to move. See, learning to be spiritual, learning to have real relationship with God where God's presence shows up in our lives is filled with trial and error for each and every one of us. It's trying to learn to trust God's word as reliable and step in obedience to that whether we believe it or not fully at the moment, but giving him a chance to show up. It, it's growing and knowing him as a person and, and understanding how he communicates and understanding uh, how his presence feels when he's with us and moving and wanting to do something. It's learning how to minister to other people in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, those four things, that obedience, that that reliability of the word, that personal relationship and learning to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, those are the stakes that led the disciples to such vibrant faith and ministry. It wasn't just some sort of belief or some morality. It was those stakes that led them to the power of God being in their life. And that's what I love hearing in Sharon's story. That's what I love that I know is a part of so many of your stories as well, those similar stakes. So come on, worship team. The invitation today, we're going to close the service a little bit different today. The invitation right now, maybe, maybe for you for this coming week. So I'm going to give you one for the week and then we're going to have one for right now. The invitation for this week is, would you just do something this week to, to lean in? to hunger more for the Holy Spirit to show up in your week and expect God to bring an opportunity for you to pray, for you to care, for you to tell someone God loves them, to be that person who leans in in a prompt moment and says, I'm going to risk and see if God shows up. And expect him to do that. But right now today, would you stand with me? And I just want to take a moment for us to just receive from the Holy Spirit. So Sharon's going to lead you more in that in a second, and she's going to ask you to, to open posture. And, and, and that's not, it's, there's nothing magical about opening your posture like she asked that lady to do. It's, it's just simply this. We're relating to God who is, the, who, who is who's the Spirit who created us. And sometimes it just helps for us to physically align our openness in some way. So whatever openness looks like to you, whether it looks like turning your palms up to receive, whether it looks like this, whatever openness looks like to you, allow your body to match up with your prayer right now with God in a real practical way. And I'll let Sharon read the, lead the rest of it. Okay. You know, God absolutely loves each and every one of you here. And it's just the deepest desire of our hearts that you would know and experience his love. 
If you've never done that before, before you leave here today, and for those of you who have, just enjoy the time. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to assume that position of openness to him. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come. And you may experience him in a number of different ways. You may experience him as a wind that's going to blow across the room. You may experience him as heat, sort of a fire, the fire of God, I like to think of it. You may experience him as what I refer to as water, just that liquid love of God that washes over you. You may experience the glory of God. It's just like a weight that comes and rests on you. There may be other ways that you experience him, but if you would just um, go ahead and just assume the position to receive what the Lord has for you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. have the ministry team come to the front. Yeah, just go ahead and keep relaxing into him. Just keep receiving what you have, what he has for you. More, Holy Spirit, more. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. I just sense like the the, the spirit is um, that there's somebody here who um, maybe even in the last day or so you have said, God, you need to prove it. And and as we were talking about the leaning away posture, you went, that's me. And so I think the invitation for you this morning is is to just verbally right now under your breath or however you want to do it, just to say, God, I, I want to I lean in. Because I think the decision that you're, you're, you're leaning away from and saying, God, prove it before I do this, I think God's saying, I want to, I want to prove my love to you before I do this so that you can lean in to whatever the next thing is in, in your life from that basis, not from this leaning away. So how, how, however that looks to you, if, mm-hmm. if you say that might be me, then just, just lean into the Holy Spirit right now and just say, God, I, I, mm-hmm. I want to lean in. Yeah. Come and be with me. And I just sense the Holy Spirit's going to come to you in some ways that you will know it's mm-hmm. him. And he wants you to know that more than he wants you to know the, the decision mm-hmm. and the answer that you need mm-hmm. right now. Jody had a word of knowledge that there's somebody here that got some concerning test results back. If you would come up here and just let her pray for that, if that's you. Thank you, Lord, for revealing that. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. We just ask you to increase it just more, Lord. We just we love your presence. We are the people of your presence, first and foremost, above all.
Just welcome the Holy Spirit. Just worship Him in your own words, simple words. Don't make it too complicated. Don't ask for anything other than just ask for His presence to come now. If you have a specific prayer need you like, you can come up to the ministry team. They'd be glad to pray for you. Ministry team, if you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to anyone, feel free to go to them. Somebody here that's experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time, and you're kind of even doubting it, that love of God, I want to assure you it's true. He really loves you. It's really Him calling and wooing you into a, into a relationship with Him, to know Him by experience, to know His love. We're going to end our service today by celebrating communion and continuing to worship. The beautiful thing about communion is not just what it represents about the tremendous love of God, that he would come to live among us because he wants to be known by us and show us a way. And it's not just the fact that he gave his life to love you so that you could be sure he would do everything he says, that he would forgive you of everything and be good to you and lead you through this life until things are perfected. That's all a part of it. That's all a beautiful part of it. But I think one of the amazing things is he establishes communion and says, I want you to be like me, but then he leaves because there's something better than him being here and a book being here and words being here. It's the very essence of what we're talking about today. It is the Holy Spirit that he sends to us so that we can not just experience a ritual right now of communion, but we can experience his love and forgiveness in tangible ways at moments throughout our lives, that we know this is more than just a ritual, that God is real. So those who are serving communion, could you come? And we're going to worship and continue to just seek and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.